World Class, Jim Crockett Promotions, Big Time Wrestling, Mid-South, $2 Late Fee Presents, Territory Marks, with Paul London and Zach Schaefer. The show that celebrates matches from the glory days of professional wrestling. From one man who lives it, and another man who loves it. For another big day. We're back with another exciting episode of Territory Marks. And I think, uh, would you say, Paul, this is safe to assume that this episode could be titled one of the most brutal episodes ever, just most comedic, perhaps, too. Yeah, violent. Violent. Violence. Just, uh, you know, drag them out fights. You know, we're making it personal, personal stuff. Oh, yeah, there we go. How about making it personal territory mark style? Absolutely. Yeah. No, this is uh, we picked some some nice rough and tumbles. We did. We did. You uh, picked a uh, Terry Funk versus Jerry Lawler match for this week. And I picked a Magnum T.A. versus Nikita Koloff match for this week. Uh, we'll get into mine after yours because yours dates back all the way to 1981. But there's a little twist, right? Because you yeah. you chose one match, but then you kind of realize, well, there's a great promo involved. And then there's a follow-up match to it. And they all kind of tie together really nicely in a package, wouldn't you say? Yeah, because they're all within a month of each other um the first the first match that that we'd love to to go over and talk about is um a very very popular uh but i think often overlooked match just because unless you lived in memphis um when people think of memphis wrestling they obviously they think of jerry the king lawler who is is the king of memphis uh besides elvis um (laughs) but they tend to get drawn more so to what would occur in Memphis uh, roughly like a year later with Andy Kaufman coming into the territory and starting this big feud with Jerry Lawler. So when people think of Memphis wrestling, um, obviously they think of Lawler, but they'll more often than not think of Kaufman. So we're going a year prior to that. uh, Specifically the date on this first match is March 23rd of 
now this is the no DQ match between Jerry Lawler and Terry Funk. And Jimmy Hart, which you'll see, he is kind of under the ring for half of the match, comes out. He's the ultimate opportunist. Um, but Jimmy Hart is from Jackson, Mississippi. And I've met Jimmy Hart and Jerry Lawler um, and Terry Funk. Obviously, Terry Funk is one of my mentors who who's helped me tremendously in my career. But Jimmy Hart was brought into Memphis by Lawler to be, a, uh, I think, a backup singer. Lawler was, I can't remember the project Lawler was singing, but he eventually became kind of his manager and then they split off. Um, but they knew of each other because they went to the same high school in Memphis. Really? Uh, yeah, they didn't go at the same time from what I've read, but uh, they went, they attended the same high school. Wow. So once Jimmy Hart disbanded and, and I think he turned on Lawler somewhere in there. And then he soon after formed the first family. He had brought in Terry Funk as a hired gun to, to take out Lawler. Now, Lawler and Funk had a match that went 60 minutes. It was an hour Broadway match. And I want to say it was from 78. It might've been 77. So uh, knowing that we're kind of mostly covering eighties and early nineties, I thought, ah, I would, that would be really epic to cover that hour-long Broadway. But it's in the late 70s. We can still do that. And we might down the road, you know. Yeah, my favorite movie is The Warriors of All Time. It's 79. So I say toe-dipping wow. into the 70s is totally acceptable. It's our show. We can do whatever we want. Come out and play. Yay. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, yeah, they went an hour. And, wow. you know, they, they had a, a crazy brawl. And... From what I gathered, they hadn't really touched since. So when Jimmy Hart brought in Terry Funk as kind of this uh, hired assassin to take out Lawler once and for all, uh, it 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 kind of boiled up into this this no DQ match. And so Jimmy Hart is hiding under the ring for half the match. He he definitely gets uh, involved throughout the match, but it's it's not one to marvel at from a technical sense, you know, where you're sitting here, you know, and I think that's something that was really wonderful about Memphis wrestling was, I mean, mid South Coliseum, say what you will. It's easily one of the most storied buildings in professional wrestling history. And it's seated 11,300 people. And I know that because we'll cover that in the follow-up match, which took place uh, roughly a month after this one, so but it, it starts off just just wily. It's it, like you were saying earlier. It's a brawl. They're just just going at it. You know, they're not. There's no feeling out process. No. Um, brutal. Yeah, it's it's brutal. It's brutal. Absolutely. And you know, very early on, we see uh, you know Terry throwing uh, Lawler out of the ring and all over the place. But but even around that point is when we see, you know, Terry gets opened up pretty bad from Lawler slamming his head into the ring bell. So Funk gets a lot of color pretty early on and they're just really battling out. And then here and there you see Jimmy Hart popping out from under the ring, getting involved a little bit and then sliding back under the ring. And he's wearing this like bodysuit, these long like tights. It's pretty funny. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. It's great. Um, but I just, I, I love the brutality of this match. I love the intensity of it. And with it being no DQ, 
it's kind of funny that, you know, still Jimmy Hart playing up that chicken shit heel would hide and find his, his opportune time to come in and get involved, right. which he does. You know, he, he brings in a chair, which uh, kind of backfires at one point, but, you know, uh, Terry gets a hold of that chair and since there's no DQ, like let's have at it. And they take some amazing chair shots, especially to the legs, both of these guys, yeah. you know, so on a, on a chair that is solid steel, solid steel. Yeah. It's like those old arena, those red metal chairs that, you know, I think had, they were pretty heavy, yeah. you know, they were not, they were not um, kind of like the, the, a lot of the chairs you see in pro wrestling shows today with the plastic seats and right. the tubing. You know, these were like, <laughs> red steel yeah it, with um, like the, the the padding i think uh right right maybe a little bit of seat cushion yeah. possibly oh. just vicious yeah this whole match is just vicious and you know terry gets opened up by getting a head slammed into the ring bell he then gives lawler uh some pretty wicked fisticuffs that opens lawler up yeah so they're both bleeding at this point, but yeah, I just loved the brutality of it. I love that it went all over the, you know, the outside of the ring. Um, but, 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 you know, there wasn't any kind of um, showboating, you know, like they were, they were really focused on just beating the tar out of each other. And, yeah, and the crowd is really what, adds so much to the magic of this match because that's one thing I absolutely love about the Memphis territory was that they truly believed what they were seeing. And if you were an outsider coming in to rough up their, their favorite son, their baby face, mostly Jerry Lawler, he did have some heel periods throughout, but not in this case. Um, then they were, they were all over him. You know, they were all over Terry, everything that he did, and he didn't have to heal up and, and play to the crowd so much like he would. But I think the thing that I love about watching Terry work is his selling. I think his selling is something that it's, uh, I don't want to say goofy, but yeah, hell that he he's not above kind of making himself look foolish, no. you know? And there's this, there's this spot, uh, early in the match when they go out and this is before, you know, the metal guardrails, they would just have kind of, I think it was probably like a, a coffee can with cement in it and a post. And then there was like a rope. Yeah. String. I wrote string. <laughs> yeah. The string, you know, and so rope, they yeah. knock all that stuff down. And then there's this point when Terry uh, gets back into the ring, but somehow he had been able to hook his foot on the rope and he trips and the crowd just loves it, just eats it up, yep. you know, and uh, it's just awesome. It, it is a brutal match. He does eventually get the Texas spinning toe hold on um, Lawler a few times because he had taken the, the chair to his leg. And um, he's just, you know, it, he's not just trying to beat Lawler. Like he's trying to hurt him for good. Yeah. You know? And that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about this match, which, you know, uh, Lawler eventually, you know, Terry goes to the big chair shot and on the ground and are on the mat and Jerry moves out of the way. And then he eventually gets a, a punch in on Terry, gets the chair and just starts wailing on him, wailing on him, oh, wails yeah. on his leg, eventually knocks him out of the ring 
and just keeps wailing on him, wailing on him, wailing on him, and wins uh, pretty much by by countout. You know, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, it was surprising. But, I was surprised. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's so believable, yes. right? Because you're thinking if this guy's taken several big shots to the leg on the outside over and over and over again he probably shouldn't stand back up right and and make it back in you know what i mean especially if he's the the chicken shit heel you know and so um that was just i i enjoyed that i didn't think it 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 needed so much of a of a three count in this case because then you still kind of open up the door right which is what they did and so that kind of segues us into where this continued on. So you have the amazing Lance Russell doing commentary. You got the fans of Memphis just making it just a buildup of just the atmosphere. It must have just been, you know, I can't imagine how hot it must have been in the Mid-South Coliseum in March oh, of Memphis. Yeah. I mean, especially with, you know, I think it was close to 9,000 fans in this particular case um so that leads us to this promo that uh lance russell actually was conducting with jerry lawler where he said let's take a look at this footage of an interview i just did with terry uh just recently at the channel five studios which is where they would do a lot of their in-studio shows and terry is cutting a amazing just an amazing promo but intimidating and calling out lawler uh, in what I believe was the first, he challenged him to a to an empty arena match, right? And it's because he was calling him out, saying he was a coward, saying that it was he had everyone in his back pocket. He had the Memphis police in his back pocket. He had Lance Russell in his back pocket. He had the people of Memphis in his back pocket. But he was a coward. What was your favorite line of this promo? He goes, "You son of a jackass! You you're a lover of chickens." <laughs> I'm like, whoa! This is a this is gold. I'm gonna put some so of this on the episode for sure. Oh, I love it! I love it. You a world heavyweight champion, Terry Funk, has uh, something that he wants to explain about, and we uh, are obliging him with that time. First of all, I'd like to say that Jerry Lawler is a son of a jackass. He's a lover of chickens. He has a one-track mind the same way a hog does at supper time or slop time, but he's not concerned about slop. I want to tell you, Lance, what he's concerned about. The man is concerned about money and money alone. And I'm going to prove to you, Lance, that he doesn't have any guts. And you see right here is I have got a date I have got a time, and I have got a place. This is a personal invitation sealed right here to Jerry Lawler, and I want to get him down and hold him down, and I want to make him say to me personally, Terry Funk, you are the better man. Terry Funk, oh, Terry Funk, oh, please let me up and let me go. That's what I want to make him holler. I want to see if he's got the guts to come down there. The guts. 
like I don't think a lot of people have around here. And I'm talking about the fans, Lance. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about a lot of different people. But Lawler does not have the stinking guts to come down there where no money is involved, where nothing is involved except personal pride. And I do have Texas pride, believe me. Well, there it is. Take this. Okay, I will take it, and I will deliver it to Lawler in there. No money, no fans. He's crying Homer and all that. Well, there's the challenge from Terry Funk to Jerry Lawler, and we'll deliver it to him. I really love this promo because it, it, it's, it's so. Um, you really feel the like the Texan, yeah, coming out of Terry. You know, not that Memphis is a super sophisticated town. It's very country. Some would say more country than a lot of places in Texas. But, you know, Terry being from the Double Cross Ranch, you know, you sit there thinking, well, yeah, he's got lots of experience with with livestock and whatnot. So he starts comparing Lawler, um, you know, to a to a boar, you know, (laughs) eating slop and all this stuff and how he's focused on one thing only. And that's money. You know what I mean? So he, he calls Lawler out and challenges him. To an empty arena match. Yes. So that there are no fans, there are no police. He doesn't even want money for this this rematch. He just wants Lawler to get on the mic and say, No, no, I can't take any more. You're the better man, Terry. You're the better man. And that's what I thought was pretty amazing. Um, because then it cuts back to Lawler and Lance Russell's handing him the invitation that Terry told him to deliver to, to Lawler. And Lawler kind of looks it up and down. This is great. He's like, okay, yeah, got it. And then he just kind of starts to walk off. And Lance was like, well, I was hoping for an answer. And he's like, you got it. Yeah, well, all right, all right. And it made sense because why would he need to sell a show that wasn't going to have a gate to it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, Good point. And it added so much intensity to it. Yep. Because you, you kind of started to see the wheels turning in Lawler's head that, like, he was dealing with something different here. You know what I mean? This was something that, even though it was still going to take place in Memphis at the Mid-South Coliseum, he knew that he was kind of going to be more on his own at this point. He wasn't going to have the fans of Memphis behind him. He wasn't going to have the police of Memphis behind him. Um, and that kind of fast-forwards as uh, we go nearly a month, uh, just a little over a month later, that no DQ match was on March 23rd. The empty arena match took place on April 25th. And so we're in the Mid-South Coliseum, and it's it's pretty awesome because we see Lance Russell, and he's sitting there in this empty arena, and he states that there's 11,300 empty seats, and there's the ring, and he's just thinking, you know, like, I don't know that this is going to happen. He keeps mentioning how, you know, it's just about one o'clock. Like, that was kind of the, the agreed upon time. They said they were going to fight. And he ends up just kind of lighting up a cigarette, even just because he thinks, you know, I don't know that this is going to happen. So until somebody shows up and he lights it up indoors, this was still allowed back in the early right. 80s, right? I think they still had smoking on airplanes for sure. I don't know when that stopped. Yeah. I feel like it stopped in the 90s. I think it did too. Which is insane, yeah. really. It really is. Um, but he mentions he had cameraman Randy West with him. <laughs> and it's just Lance Russell, cameraman Randy West, because uh, Bunk wanted proof. He wanted it documented. And that way people could see that Lawler's a coward. 
and he's a dog and that terry is the better man you idiot (laughs) yeah terry strolls in and he's sitting there and it's you know he's waiting he's like where's lawler you know that coward that coward and he ends up like you know what i i'm gonna count he starts he does kind of a a, not a quick but a fairly fast 10 count and he's like i'm the i win because he didn't even show up he does a little phony 10 count and grants himself the winner and then slowly in the background we see the all white Jerry Lawler wearing his all white outfit with his 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 kind of a uh, cloak and his his king's crown. Yes, he's fully. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. He's he's in full regalia and taking his time, taking in the empty crowd. He's just he's 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 making sure you know like this is he's it's time to go to war. Yeah, and I had I had read somewhere that Lawler might have regretted wearing all that because he felt not foolish. But that was just more so, you know, for the presentation for the people. But sure enough, he came out dressed in full Jerry Lawler uh, appearance. And it's funny because, you know, I would say the first two, maybe three minutes of this of this match, if you can even call it a match, because there's not even a referee. No. Right. It's more like an I quit match, if anything. Totally. Yeah. Um is you know you hear Terry just doing all this commentary. He's doing the commentary. Like, there he is the clown. Look at him, that idiot. That idiot. <laughs> yeah, you idiot. You coward. Get in here, you coward. Look at him. What a fool. How foolish. Idiot's a great word, by the way. I love that word. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's. And that's another thing that I thought was so great about Terry's. Uh, I don't want to say character because it's just like, this is him. Yeah, it's his persona. Yeah. It's just him. Is that I can't think of ever hearing a Terry Funk promo or call out where he had to cuss. You know what I mean? Well, he's he's swearing right in this, but but Lance Russell, it's beeped out. He could probably there be are, saying I mean, gibberish. Are, but. You're right. You're right. There are beeps, but but in terms of like when he's when he's saying, and that's that's more him when he's like getting himself riled up. Totally. You're right. Yeah. When he's like directing it at um at Lawler, or like when he was in that Channel Five promo, he's using these these Texas insults. Yeah. You know what I mean? You like pig. You said, like, yeah, you pig, call it, you know, it's like you said, the lever of chickens. Um, you know, I've seen them, you know, sucking on eggs, like all these different things that are just kind of very Texasy kind of hillbilly hick, redneck kind of insults. You know? By by the way, I called a I, in in high school I called a kid a pig once. I'm like, you pig, I couldn't think of anything else. And he goes, What? And I go, Oh <laughs> like it's like a bad Whoa. fart. <laughs> You got into his, you got the mind games going, you know what I mean? You got him thinking, so it works. Um, you're right, you're right. He and, But I love that Lance Russell scolds him. He's like, you can't, you can't. Cussing. Yeah, he's like, watch your language or something like that. We're going to have to, we're going to have to beep, the, you know, we're going to have to edit these, uh, cover these up, or yeah, just watch your swearing and everything. Um, <laughs> and, and this is just a, kind of a continuation of the no DQ in a way. You yeah. know, they start out going all into the chairs, and Terry takes some great bumps and half looks like he trips into a row of chairs and takes them all out and pulls some of the chairs on top of himself. <laughs> just just destroying all the chairs in the front row, um, which makes sense because there's nobody sitting in them. No, right? I mean, who cares? Who cares? 
Who cares? They got blood on him um, now, but still. Yeah. And he goes to just, you know, I think one of the things that people remember most of this match is uh, as it gets towards the, the ending of it, it's on the opposite side of the camera, but we can hear it. And it's Terry kind of destroying the, the wooden steps yeah. that go into the ring. And that's where he gets this infamous wooden uh, spike. It's like, yeah. you know, he breaks off like a shard of the stairs and it leads up to him trying to impale Lawler and Lawler's sitting there blocking it. Oh, it's intense. It's, that's intense. Oh, it's awesome. Yeah, the it's tension, awesome. It's so good. And and Lance Russell's selling it beautifully. Oh, yeah. like, oh my God, he's trying to stab him. With it. We need to stop this. Like, this is getting out of hand and everything. Like, <laughs> and I think that sells so much because at this time, I don't believe there had ever been an empty arena match. Not that I know of. Yeah. You know, so you're hearing everything. You're hearing every grunt. You're hearing, you know, every bit of emotion. You're hearing all the trash talk. You're hearing all this stuff. And, and it had to be as real as it could possibly be, you know, and they sell it as real as it can possibly be. And as far as I'm concerned, it was real. It was real, you know, and sure enough, it gets to that famous ending where uh, Lawler kind of hits Terry's hand and it kind of looks like he ends up kind of stabbing himself in the yeah. eye. He's like, my eye, my eye. Oh, you took out my eye, my eye, you know. It's great. Get somebody to help me, my eye. Bye. My eye. Where is he? Where is Lawler? Where'd he go? Where is Lawler? My eye. Where is that chicken? Where's that tower? Where's Lawler? He's yellow. Lawler's yellow. He's yellow. Lawler, come back here. You yellow pig. 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 Oh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's chilling, you know, it's it is chilling because he's really selling it and you're sitting there kind of looking you're like, Oh my God, did he really poke his eye out? Like, this is, this is really graphic, you know? So I, I just loved it. I loved the intensity of it. I loved the brutality of it. I loved how personal it was, how personal Terry made it. Um, and you know, Funny enough, there was no Jimmy Hart involvement. No. Uh, but I don't think Terry would have wanted that, you know, because yeah. he's a tough boy from Double Cross Ranch and he didn't want any outside help. He didn't need any outside help because he wasn't a coward. Like that chicken-loving, <laughs> egg-sucking dog, Jerry the King Lawler. So, unfortunately, the, uh, the, the vampire stake to the eye uh, – didn't allow Terry to continue and it, it kind of gave, you know, Lawler the victory here. Yeah. Lawler literally walked off. He, he's like, I'm done. <laughs> he just, yeah. Walks off. And he leaves. He leaves. From what I've seen, I, I don't know that Lawler was as big a fan of the concept of the empty arena match, but um, who knows, you know, he's, he's one of those ultimate worker types who, who might have just let that be part of his persona in terms of 
you know, if the people of Memphis can't be there with me, then, then I'm not interested, but you know, he's also not going to let himself be called out uh, by a wily Texan. And he's certainly going to uphold the honor of Memphis. And he did, you know, he, he fought and fought and, and survived everything that Terry threw at him. And um, it's just, yeah, a real, a real historic match, you know, later on throughout the history of pro wrestling, we would see various attempts at an empty arena match. One that comes to mind more so, I guess, uh, would be kind of more in the, the attitude era with like mankind and the rock. Yeah. That was a super bowl. It was a super bowl match. Wasn't it? Um, or was that no, the undertaker I, mankind match? No, no, no. Yeah. This would have been the rock and, uh, mankind, on raw i believe uh i could be mistaken chris will let me know yeah right um, <laughs> shout out to your buddy chris <laughs> yeah that's right uh but just you know i i highly recommend anybody who hasn't seen memphis wrestling to check out memphis wrestling and more specifically to check out at first the no dq match with jerry the king waller and terry funk with that chicken which he was called uh jimmy hart under the ring getting involved um but then also this follow-up match of the empty arena match at the mid-south coliseum between terry funk and jerry lawler which uh gave us all the wonderful ma you blinded me lawler you blinded me my and then he follows so, it up with, where is he? Where'd he go? Where is that? Where is that idiot? Or whatever he says at the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, he would have probably kept going, you know, like he just, I don't know that I've met a tough, a tougher man in my life than Terry Funk. I mean, he is, he is the real deal, the real deal, you know? So um, I thought it was interesting He's kind of only wearing one of the knee sleeves in the empty arena match, but he's kind of got both of his knee pads on in the no DQ match. But yeah. a lot of the the chair shots that Lawler gave him in that no DQ match were to his leg. And so I was wondering if he was kind of just, you know, selling that a little bit more with it or not. Um, you would think you would want your knees more padded in this case. But, yeah, um, never a glamorous wrestler whatsoever. No. Terry Funk was just the epitome of that guy that you didn't want to piss off at the bar. Yeah. You know, you would think. Um, and they even announced him, I think, in the no DQ matches, you know, the star of Thunder in Paradise. Or Paradise or, Alley. You know, Paradise Alley. Or with, Paradise, uh, uh, yeah, Paradise Alley, Thunder in Paradise. <laughs> Sorry, Terry. Uh, Wait, not that egg-sucking Hulk Hogan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it's awesome, you know, because later on we would see Terry, you know, appearing in Roadhouse. Over the top. Uh, over the top. I thought you'd be bigger. <laughs> you know? um, just just a real badass. Just an absolute badass. Well, and if you've seen uh, if you've seen if, if, if listeners have seen any documentaries about Funk in later on in his life, you guys know it's he's notorious for having his, his knees are shot. His legs are in bad oh, shape. Yeah. So. Uh, for all those chair shots that he took that that may have been light or if you think, oh, that that chair was plastic or whatever, the chairs back in the day, he was doing some brutal stuff to his legs. And uh, he Absolutely. unfortunately paid the toll for that. But but man, right. he sold it so well. Completely. I think that's one of the funniest little bits 
in Beyond the Mat, yes, the documentary Beyond the Mat, where he's visiting the doctor's office, and they're like, "You need to have completely recon, you know, your knees need to be re- reconstructed." Both of them, he's like, "If I don't do this surgery, will I be able to live comfortably?" He's like, "You shouldn't be living comfortably now." <laughs> now, like, really? yeah. <laughs> for real, yeah, you know, so yeah, he's he's amazing and. My thoughts definitely go out to him as he's dealing with health issues. Um, and, and Jerry Lawler as well. You know, he's had a good rapport with Jerry Lawler. One hell um, of an artist so. too, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah, his caricature work, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And he's got one of the biggest Coca-Cola collections around, apparently. Right. I mean, absolutely. Like Coca-Cola paraphernalia. and Yeah, say what you will about um, some of those WWE uh, documentaries because they're not always – as, as, as factual as we would like them to be or accurate, but the one they do on Jerry Lawler, it's really fun from that perspective because you see his entire, he's a pop culture fanatic. So he loves Ooh. all that stuff. Right. And you obviously know that better than most because you worked alongside him for a number of years. Yeah, he was great. He was great. He was, it was always, it was always one of those things that it was hard not to mark out when I was around Jerry, the King Lawler. Well, you mentioned that he he didn't start his program with Lawler until the following year, and I think oh Kaufman yeah with Kaufman sorry with, that he launched his program with Kaufman yeah and you know I, I remember the first time I was introduced to Lawler was watching him with Kerry Von Erich when they started the oh yeah kind of like the later years of WCCW or maybe later year because I think it was only a couple years right. later but you know he put wrestling on a whole other platform prior to hogan in wwf right and 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 the fact that both of these guys funk and lawler went on to continue to wrestle 10 20 30 40 years practically down the road it's phenomenal and and you know you were saying from a from a technical standpoint the no dq matches is a it's a slugfest it's it's literally just them punching each other but it's yeah. enthralling for those 13 minutes Completely. I, and, and then it, it's you know you don't need it wasn't that kind of a match right and and, and right. so you're not going down the road of like well you know uh did he get him in an arm bar where's the arm bar where's the clothesline where's the suplex nothing right you know but but he does do the atomic drop outside onto lawler in the no dq match does. i believe and then he does a yeah. pile driver in the yeah. uh, the empty arena match right prior to him doing it to flare on a table in in, in the right. late 80s it's brutal stuff i'm just like right. it, it, i was captivated the entire time and then to cap it all off you've got lance russell who Many people probably don't know who Lance Russell is in, in right. this day and age. Today's audience probably only th- when they think of an old school commentator, they think of Jim Ross. And that's fair. Right. Or Gordon Soley, possibly, if they even know Gordon Soley. You know? Right. And I mean, we are going to get to, you know, us us waxing poetic about Gordon Soley down the road. But Lance, man, he he was so integral, uh, integral in the storyline, especially in the no empty arena match, because he's the only one commentating besides funk. Who's adding his own who, who's screaming like at one point, like a, like a woman, you know, where he's like, Oh, it's you guys, you have to watch this. The links are in our show notes per usual. You have to watch this both 
I encourage you to watch all both matches and then the promo in between because yes. uh, when when Paul said, "Here's my match for for today," uh, and then a few moments go by and you're like, or maybe a few hours went by and you're like, "Well, you got to watch this." Oh, and you got to watch this too. And, and I'm waiting for like a fourth thing. Uh, but they really go together. It, you have to watch all three of these in conjunction because it really tells the story uh, as to why these guys hate each other so much. And, you know, and then you've got the little side pockets. I wrote down, I love the uh, the studio audience when Lawler gets the message from Funk, right? And he reads it. Yeah. It's this like Bozo the Clown uh, at WGN Studios audience. It's so, inter- <laughs> like there's a bunch of kids and they're clapping. Like, you know, the producer's trying to get them pumped up. Okay, we're going to commercial. Um, it's <laughs> so entertaining to see like that piece of nostalgia because it's now parodied right. in so much stuff, right? Like you see yeah, it now. Right. Uh, like just, I can't describe it the way I want to, but the way Lawler walks off and Lance Russell continues talking to him, like the, right. you know, and then they, they come in from a commercial break and Russell's like having a side conversation. It's like totally, whether that was intentional or not, it's gold. It's absolute gold. It's not polished in a good way. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, it's as raw as it, as it can possibly appear. And all that does is make this real. Yes. It makes it real. You know, um, I've always kind of made the joke that, you know, when people mention watching Monday Night Raw, I'm sitting here thinking it's anything but raw. If anything, it's overcooked. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Overcooked. yeah. Give, me, give me this style any day yeah. over anything. I Give me the rope. Uh, you know, dividers from the audience in the ring. <laughs> there's guys. There's literally a piece of string keeping the <laughs> audience from the wrestlers. Where thank God they didn't just they just punched each other because th- right. they could have really hurt people in the audience, and people did get oh, hurt in the audience. Too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think they would have loved it too. The the fans would have just loved it, you know. Whereas today they'd be like, "I'm gonna see you." Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Those cowards. Come on. You know, I mean, guys, and, and Funk Funk will come up on our show regularly. Uh, in yes. fact, my match that I was originally going to pitch for this episode, I, I'm i waiting for the next month, um, but it features Lawler or it features Funk. And it's a, a Funk in the late 80s. Uh, and he hasn't changed. It's just gotten better. Right. Yeah. He's um, he makes me proud to be a Texan. As I'll he should. That. And Lawler, I got to tell you, like you said, Lawler maybe had a, he took issue with the fact that he came to the empty arena in in his full regalia. I never had a problem with the crown and cape. I always had a problem with the, uh, the, the side singlet. It just, it, the, it just but never you know, did it, for me. It, it, it But it worked. It worked, it worked also yeah. to that point where, you know, when you have, um, kind of more so later on, um, another Terry Hulk Hogan. Uh, you know, getting his his Hulk up, you know, and all that stuff. Yeah. And like the no, da, da. with with Lawler, it was always pulling the strap down, you know, and that's when you knew like all bets are off. And he was doing it before Hogan, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, I, you know, Hogan learned a lot from this whole thing. You know, he 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 really he that helped develop him. Um, but. 
pulling that strap down, you know, I mean, and later on, you know, much, much later on, we would see Kurt Angle doing it with both straps, right? right? Um, <laughs> I'm not so going to one up you. I'm going to two down. up you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I love the one strap. I think it, it would be bizarre to see Jerry Lawler wearing anything else. I think just because this is pretty much what he's always worn. But I loved that in both cases, he was he was wearing the all white too. Because I love that. What better way to show that somebody is bleeding uh, than to wear all white gear? Right, right. Um, so I, I love the one strap. I love the pull down. You hear the crowd just erupt because they know their guy is still in it. And if anything, business is really about to pick up. Um, you are going to get some Memphis mud holes stomping you. <laughs> courtesy of the king and you made a really good point too you make a really good point earlier when you said you know uh this is being an empty arena match there's no gate there's no audience to pay for their tickets to go into the arena and so much of the money that can be made is from ticket sales right absolutely so absolutely what's the benefit of this match to lawler is it more of just it continues the storyline right but right but lawler Pride. Yeah. Nobody's going to call him out in his own in his own territory. Call him a coward. Tell him that he loves chickens. Compare him to a boar, loving slob, loving money. Saying that he has all these all these assistances with him, all the the people helping him, the police helping him, Lance Russell helping him. Um, even though Lance Russell was there, but he had to document it. You know, <laughs> he had to. It was a matter of pride. It was a matter of pride. You know, and so um, he brought it. And he survived and, and, you know, came out on top. So um, just just absolutely, like you were saying earlier, golden years. For me, this is, you know, and I was, you know, this is March to April. Um, by the time the empty arena match took place on the 25th, I was freshly one year old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was five. I think I was five. Yeah, I was five. No, no, I was still four. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, yeah, so not even thinking about wrestling. Right, right. No, I I was just crapping my diaper. I yeah. think so. Yeah. Who knows? I had superheroes um, on my wall that I, I I that was wallpaper, and I was ripping the superheroes off my wall because I wanted the. I thought they were the, thought they were toys, and my mom came in. She's like, "What are you doing?" I was ripping the superheroes off my wall. That's wallpaper. Do you remember what? Which superheroes were on? It there? was like the DC stuff. So we're talking Superman and Flash and um, Wonder Woman. But then the pocket superheroes came out around that time too. They were the first three and three quarter figures, superhero oh, figures. Wow. And they had, if you look at them now, they're hilarious because the the Batman and Superman, I think, have their hands right in front of their crotch, the way their arms are bent. <laughs> And you're like, what's going on there? Um, but I had like a Hulk figure, you know, I, there's like Mego, I think might've put these out like mini Mego figures, you know? And uh, nice. anyways, yeah. That, that's no, cool. that's great. I mean, that kind of segues into some of the things that I had kind of found out in terms of, you know, toys and cartoons and things that were going on in 1981. Yeah. Tell us, I, I teed it up perfectly well, for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, later on in 81, it seemed like cartoons would get released more so in September of 81, but that's when we saw the debut of Smurfs in 81. Um, 
Yeah, 81. 81. There was also uh, the Spider-Man cartoon. Oh, yeah. There was a Shazam cartoon. Oh, shout out to our buddy Diallo. He 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 listens to us. Oh, is he a big Shazam he guy? He loves Shazam. Shazam is like yeah. his gold. Well, uh, hopefully he can look up this, this old school 1981 cartoon of Shazam. This is Billy Batson, star reporter for station WIZZ-TV. He has been picked by the aged wizard Shazam to carry on the wizard's lifelong crusade against crime and the forces of evil. When Billy speaks the wizard's name, Shazam! Billy becomes Captain Marvel, mighty champion, combining the wisdom of Solomon, the strength of Hercules, the stamina of Atlas, the power of Zeus, the courage of Achilles, and the speed of Mercury. Billy's twin sister, Mary Batson, has also been granted special power. When she speaks the name... Shazam! Mary Batson becomes Mary Marvel, blending the grace of Selena with the best qualities of other goddesses, whose names combined form the word Shazam! The third member of the mighty trio is their friend, lame newsboy, Freddie Freeman when he speaks the name of his idol, Captain Marvel! Freddy becomes the powerful Captain Marvel Jr. Together, they are the mighty Marvel, dedicated to fighting the forces of evil throughout the universe. I want to say it ran maybe three seasons. I could be mistaken on that. Uh, There was another cartoon called Teen Force, which I wasn't familiar with. Um... But one thing that I thought was funny was that there was a Laverne and Shirley in the Army cartoon. Yes, I think Filmation put it out. Filmation who did um, Hanna Barbera. Yeah, was it Hanna Barbera? Or okay, so so yeah, because Filmation I think might have done the Gilligan's Island cartoon that came out for a while for a minute. Uh, But Laverne and Shirley in the Army cartoon. Whoa, deep cut. Yeah, cartoon. It was a spinoff of the the popular show. Obviously, right on. And, uh, yeah, Penny Marshall did the, you know, they did the voices. It was, yeah, it's pretty interesting, right? You yeah. would think you never really saw a sitcom turned into a cartoon. Um, I mean, you would kind of later on, I think it became a little bit more popular, but yeah, but still though, that's a good point. Like, you, you know, Gilligan's Island, I guess, makes sense in a way because, there's a lot of dynamics going on there, but Laverne and Shirley is literally about two, you know, two working class women. Right. Up, good moving the up Milwaukee, the ladder. Like brewery or whatever, the yeah. factory or something, right? Can you imagine if they made a Three's Company cartoon? That would have been amazing <laughs> for kids. I want to I, I want to find the Laverne and Shirley in the art. I want to see if Lenny and Squiggy were in there because those are always they had to have been. my favorite characters. You know, they had to be. Y'all might not know that Michael McKeon you know, obviously from Better Call Saul and all of the um, uh, Christopher Guest movies and Spinal yeah. Tap, obviously. He was on Laverne and Shirley way back when. And Penny Marshall, the director of so many uh, amazing films. So, oh, Yeah, she's great. Wow, those are I some love Laverne and Shirley. Yeah, I mean, I caught it on reruns, but there was one, it was one of those shows that I really took to. You know, I really enjoyed watching it. Um, and Happy Days, but, you know... I I like Laverne and Shirley more. I think I did too, to be honest with you. I don't know why. I think I like Lenny and Squiggy a lot. I really did. I loved them, you know? And was it 
was it Scary Movie where he showed up? Uh, was it Squiggy? I think showed up as like the principal. Yes, I think so. Um, right. I'm I'm racking my brain now. Chris is Chris um, going to call you out on that too? <laughs> he probably will. Okay. You never know. Chris is like, you guys mentioned me twice on the show. What? What's going on here? <laughs> He's big Sanford and Son guy. Oh, uh, me too. Or no, the Jeffersons. That's yeah, his his big one. Um, I mean, these are all great shows. So that's true. You and that's I, true. by the way, you and I are. Some might say we're we're too young to be enjoying these things. We're like, wait, whoa, whoa, hold on. You guys are supposed to enjoy stuff that came out in the mid middle eighties. And like, no, there was reruns were hot back in the day. Oh yeah, that's where I watched Welcome Back, Cotter. That was my show. That was my jam. Oh wow. That's, that's that's pretty awesome. I'll save that for if we ever cover, you know, I'll, I'll try to come up with a welcome back Cotter link. That way I can drop the, <laughs> uh, drop some lines from, from Vinny Barbarino. Well, did you watch, um, greatest American hero? Cause that was on TV at the time. Wished I had the uh, figure. The they made an action figure for that. Yeah. The figure, right. Yeah. Um, it was like a 12 inch, I think they right? did, but they also again made like a mini one. And I think he had like a plastic Cape or not. Or he came like they made a car. They made him and um, who was his co-star? The guy from uh, with uh, he was on that show with um, Bill Cosby, um, Robert Culp. Oh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, Robert Culp nice. and Connie Selica. Oh gosh. <laughs> and, and of um, course, Michael Pere. But yeah, I Spy was oh, that Bill Cosby cool. show. Did you uh, so? I think the fall guy, did you watch the fall? Oh, yeah. the fall guy? All that stuff. Right. <laughs> that was big on TV. Hill street blues was another one. Fun fact about Hill street um, blues. Whenever I would sing and was get, or whenever I was getting winded, having to run the mile in high school, that song <laughs> would get stuck in my head. One more lap. Oh my God. I want to run track. I'm gonna have to listen to that one again. Don't get stuck in your head. You're welcome. I wanted to get sick. Those are the best songs. I know right? they are. That's what the theme's supposed to do. It's like sort of a jingle, but way cooler. You know. Well, speaking of themes, um, you know, uh, Magnum. I was looking. I I always look for themes, the theme songs to the wrestlers that they come out to, right? Right. And this was a time when not every wrestler was coming out to a theme song. And I did track that in the really quickly in the Lawler Funk match, the the no DQ. Is it Lawler that comes out to the, the Rocky, Rocky music? Yeah, okay. Lawler. That was his theme song. That was his theme at the time. So you can hear it in the Pretty opening, epic. just a snippet of it. You know, I'm sure Funk yeah. maybe Funk didn't come out to music, but I didn't hear anything. I could have just been enthralled by the atmosphere of everything I was seeing, but I didn't. I didn't see anything, and I thought that was a neat thing that they didn't need the music for the empty arena match either you know it just added to the seriousness yes of the occasion you know so i thought that was pretty awesome yeah um i i did see that the most popular toy in 1981 was still the rubik's cube wow 81 i didn't realize it was that old yeah 
Yeah. Well, I think it had been designed, I want to say in like 73 or 74, okay. but it was still really popular in 81, as was My Pretty Pony. My Pretty Pony? Yeah, right? Is it My, my Little pony? pony? Is it My Little Pony that became My... I think My Pretty Pony was the predecessor. Wow. Um, and there was also Monchichi dolls. Yeah, Monchichi. Remember those? Like a little monkey doll type thing. They had a bunch of holes <laughs> in their face and you could stick them in the stick of their thumb <laughs> yeah. and different. Yep. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> trying to describe um, it to my son the other day. I'm like, you know what a Monchichi is? I was like, what's that? And I said, they had like holes in their ears and their mouth. He's like, in their nose? I go, I don't think it was in their nose. I feel like it could yeah. should have been. I wonder how much those would go for today. You know, like I wonder if you're looking on eBay for a Munchichi doll. Like it's got to be pretty, a pretty penny. So many great films came out in 81 also. Uh, Between these matches, between the no DQ match and the empty arena match, Michael Mann's Thief would be released in theaters, which was uh, an amazing film. Uh, James Kong. Yeah, if you've never seen Thief, guys, you should. We covered it on Two Dollar Late Fee. You should see it. Oh, it's Tangerine it's so Dream good. Does a soundtrack for it. Uh, it's, oh it's man, a phenomenal film. Yeah, Thief is great. Um, it's a great companion piece to Heat. It's a nice, like, almost prequel yeah. to Heat. It's so true. It's so true. Um, yeah, I love. I love all things Michael Mann. Same, uh, except maybe the. Did he do the Miami Vice re- like remake, the movie? He did. It gets a lot of love now, surprisingly. I didn't dislike it, but it's not... I'd have to watch it back. Some people have said, that's his best movie. I'm like, have you seen Manhunter? Have you, have you seen yeah, Heat? Yeah, Have you seen Heat? Have you, like, I know on. Last of the Mohicans has a lot of love for it. Uh, Heat is phenomenal. I don't think Miami Vice is his strongest film. I don't dislike it. I'm just... Yeah, I need to watch it back. Um... It's got moments. Just, I just love this the series so much that it's like anything other than that. The series is 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 golden, and sh- they never should have touched it. Um, Crime Story is really good. Uh, Crime Story was his; he produced that as well. Talk about a phenomenal cast on Crime Story. Um, if you've never seen Crime Story, highly recommend it. Dennis Farina was the lead actor in that. Oh man, yeah, always playing. With- Cop or some some sort of uh, law enforcement. Because he was he was a legit cop in Chicago. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. I'm just like I I was looking at all these these other films that were coming out in '81. I didn't like one of my favorite uh, Toby Hooper movies that gets widely overlooked. Uh, the Fun House. Oh, Fun House. Yeah. Also came out in 1981. Wow, that was '81. Wow. Yeah. 81 um raiders of the lost ark would come out in the summer of 81 wow and they would have the uh the 12 inch indiana jones doll he could take his clothes off remember that yeah, My yeah, was like, yeah. look look you could take his pants off i'm like that uh, okay i the, i but the, he still had the hat on yeah with it? No, <laughs> no the hat came off too with... no, your brother had him naked with the hat oh and yeah just the whip of course <laughs> <laughs> oh my brother um Sheena Easton's nine to five came out in 81. Sheena Easton's nine to five. Yeah. That's what I saw was that she, she did nine to five because I was sitting here thinking like, wouldn't that have been like Dolly Parton or something, right? To go with the movie. But I don't know. Yeah. 
Oh, she That's the song. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Oh, not, not a fan of that. Working nine to five. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not to be confused. So uh, I'm not a, yeah, Sheena Easton. Mm, I think she's the she came out of the Prince era. Prince helped her get started. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. And we can't forget about vanity, but No, we'll, I was gonna bring her up, but we'll save that for another episode probably. Yeah, we'll cover that when we do our Never Too Young to Die. There you go. Which I know you all covered as well, didn't you? We did not. We did not. Oh, one of my absolute favorite films. Okay, then we'll have to have you on as a guest after your brother Uh, comes on, after Jonathan comes on. Yeah. I used to sing that theme song to The Ring. You did? Never Too Young to Die. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And then after I felt like, uh, I've got like a bunch of children following me to The Ring like I'm the Pied Piper and I'm singing, you're never too young. You're never too young to die. And I don't think they understand exactly what we're saying, the but they're singing it with me. I thought I should, nah. after COVID, I was like, you know what? There's, I should probably just drop this and change songs. <laughs> <laughs> Pat Benatar has got a song called hell is for children. So, you know, it's okay. <laughs> my son's like, what did she say? I go, yeah, yeah, it's, it's real. Anyways. I was going to tee up my match because um, one of the guys in the featured match, is he used to come out to the song In the Air Tonight when he was in AWA. Oh, wow. Nikita Koloff. Also of Miami Vice. Yes. Popularity. Yeah. I will hand it over to you. I love, I love, I love 1981. I clearly, and there's a lot to love. My diapers. You're like, I loved it. 10 years after because I was too young to remember it. Right. It's so true. It's so true. All right. So the year is 1986. I'm going back to 1986. You went to 86 last time. I'm going to 86 this time. Um, I was inspired, really quick side note, Magnum TA, Terry Allen, who uh, was in the business in the early, mid to early 80s, uh, had a horrible car accident in 1986, I believe, which pretty much ended his career as a full-time wrestler. But uh, he got his uh, name from Andre the Giant. Um, Yeah, Andre was the one that recommended he call himself Magnum instead of Magnum PI, Magnum TA. And uh, because he said he kind of had that look to him, right? The Tom Selleck look. But uh, he's active on social media. And he posted a photo of him and Nikita Koloff. And Nikita Koloff is, well, he's he's from Minnesota, I think, originally. But the guy, uh, you know, took this Russian moniker. Uh, He was the nephew of famed evil bad guy Ivan Koloff, who wrestled in the AWA. And Crusher Khrushchev was related to them, who went on to become Axe, or no, sorry, Smash in Demolition. But Nikita Koloff was a beast, and uh, Magnum TA posted a photo of the two of them, like, looking at each other, right? Really? To get to this famed feud I'm about to talk about. And it just inspired me. I, I hadn't watched their match in a while, so I pulled up this match from uh, August 23rd, 1986, for the United States title. It was Magnum TA versus Nikita Koloff. And I thought, this is the match we're going to cover today. Quick backstory about this match. It all started back in July when Magnum put the title on the line against Nikita Koloff. And they have a famous contract signing where Nikita, who's wearing a talk about, uh, talking about white again, he's talking, he's wearing this great white suit with Ivan Koloff, who also has like a white sport coat on. 
These guys are American, by the way, and, you know, not Russian at all. So they're putting on this accent. It's great. It's like, it's so bad, but it's so bad. It's actually kind of good. It's working. Um, and Koloff is, the, the two of them are together, Ivan and Nikita, and Magnum is there with his mom. Nikita insults Magnum's mom. It's a great little moment where he insults all American women, really. Nikita, how come all the time now? You bring your mother around. You like, how you say in this country, yeah, yeah. you like, uh, maybe these are uh, mama boy. Maybe got these uh, uh, aprons drink to you. Maybe she's a contract for you. You know, in the Soviet Union, woman, she know her place. And it's no in front of camera. No, Magatie, you bring her today. And now, you prove to Nikita that a Russian woman got a much more class than stinking American woman. Gentlemen, gentlemen. No, 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 no. They should be in the kitchen. Right? <laughs> and Russian women know their place. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Healing it up, as he should. And Magnum takes offense at this um and they start a battle at the at the signing well flash forward a couple weeks later or maybe not soon after bob geigel who's like the quote-unquote president of uh, nwa strips magnum ta of the title because he offended well he he wants to admonish him basically and have magnum apologize magnum refuses hits bob geigel in the face Bob strips him of the belt. Nikita thinks, it's mine now, by right, it should be mine. But no, they order a best of seven series to start at the Great American Bash, July 1st, 1986. Uh, and the winner of that best of seven series will become the new U.S. champion. So this was, I believe, the, uh, the final match of the series. This was going to be match seven. This match will decide the United States heavyweight champion. Fans introducing, first of all, in the corner to my left, from the Soviet Union, 137 kilos, accompanied by Ivan Koloff, the Russian nightmare, Nikita Koloff. It was live on TV. Tony Schiavone and David Crockett were on commentary. Tony Schiavone was doing double duty. He was the ring announcer and doing the commentary with David Crockett. David Crockett being the brother of Jim Crockett Jr., who ran Jim Crockett Promotions. And this the territory they were a part of. The match starts out with uh, Tommy Young being the referee. My personal favorite res- referee of all time. I feel like Tommy Young could sell it like no other. So brilliant. Uh, and you've got Magnum TA, who's kind of representing America, and Nikita Koloff, who's representing Russia, head-to-head in this match. And they beat the holy hell out of each other for the better part of 15 minutes. I think it's maybe a 14 or 15-minute match. In my opinion, it's a textbook example of what two big dudes can do in the ring without having to do too much like crazy stuff. They're not putting their bodies on the line per se, um, but... You know, at one point, there's just a lot of 
a lot of physical hitting and clotheslines and and just it, it just looks intense through the whole thing. You know, a lot of hard hits off the turnbuckles. So <laughs> that probably yeah. doing a number on their backs. Uh, in fact, Magnum, uh, you know, he he broke his neck, I think, in that car crash and um, later on in the year. But up until that point, I'm like, this guy was taking brutal hits all the time to his back and his neck. Surprised he didn't injure it sooner, <laughs> really. Uh, but but Koloff, Nikita Koloff, it was just a total badass. But he's a heel and he cheats. And at one point, Ivan Koloff gets involved. Ivan Koloff's at ringside. Uh, he gets involved, which causes Magnum to get distracted. Uh, but Magnum is able to overcome Ivan. And then Crusher Khrushchev comes out and interfere in the match as well. The Magnum's overcoming the odds, overcoming the odds. And the crowd is so hot for this match. It is, you talk about crowd, uh, the importance of a hot crowd. And right. this, this crowd sells this match like no other. Because if the crowd was dead for it, it wouldn't have the same impact. And I mean, sometimes it, the crowd's so loud, you can barely hear the commentators talking. Right, right. Um, it, it's so Ivan Koloff eventually at one point Ivan Koloff like pulls Magnum out of the ring by his mullet, which is amazing. Yeah, and then uh, Magnum pile drives Ivan on the concrete floor. Another concrete pile driver. Right, right. You know, flashing forward, I think uh, you know uh, other organizations would would sell that as being even more dangerous. This happens and the guy continues on later on. I mean, it's dangerous as hell. But like WWF, I think, who's more sanitized and more uh, kid-friendly, quote-unquote. Overcooked. But this is, it's so intense. And and obviously, after Magnum pile drives Ivan, he's out of the match. Khrushchev gets involved at that point. There's a melee going on. Khrushchev uh, is 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 battling Magnum, and then Tommy Young gets involved, and Tommy Young gets hit, and he. I always appreciated how he would get hit, and he would still have enough to recover. You know, early sure. on, he wasn't totally out of it. But right, in that right. melee, in that moment, uh, Nikita grabs his chain, his collar that he has, and he uh, hits Magnum with it. And it gets rid of it quickly, too, by the way. The way he's able to hit Magnum. Well, he does the wrap around the arm, right? Yeah. He jumps off and does the Russian sickle. The Russian sickle, which is his signature move. Uh, and he gets rid of the, the evidence as fast as he can. And he pins Magnum for the one, two, three. And people are shocked. And you hear, I think it's Shivani saying, the Russian nightmare has come true. And the Russian nightmare has come true. This feud will continue on uh, the following month for a two out of three falls match. And I don't want to spoil that, but it doesn't go the way you would expect that one to go either. Uh, I chose this match specifically because it feels like Magnum is supposed to win. Magnum's supposed to win. It's supposed to go in his favor. And it doesn't happen, which is something I always love about wrestling, where, where suddenly you're like, no, the good guys don't always win right away. Right. You got to come back the next week, right? But this is a perfect example, again, of two guys who can just go hard and really sell the moves. Like, they just feel like they're knocking the hell out of each other. And, you know, uh, they continue on this great storyline. 
goes in a totally different direction, clearly because of what happened to Magnum uh, in his car accident. But man, oh man, it is one of my favorite matches of all time. Magnum TA versus Nikita Koloff from August of 86. What are your thoughts on this match? I loved it. I, you know, I actually hadn't seen this. Um, and I think I had caught glimpses of it way back. Um, not when it happened, but um, I had seen bits of it. And then when you shared it with me and then sent me the contract signing, the contract signing was awesome. It was an amazing setup. Yeah, and so what great. I really loved about it was the camera work because it's split down the, the middle of the table and Ivan and Nikita are on the left and Magnum TA and Mama Magnum are on the right. <laughs> yeah. And then it gets a nice over-the-shoulder shot of Magnum signing the contract. Like He just kind of opens it up and just starts signing it and then slides it up and then it gets slid over to Ivan Koloff who's uh you know on the behalf of Nikita Koloff really looks at it and really kind of goes over it you know to make sure that they're not getting swindled by the Americans yeah he's mumbling something too yeah yeah and he's like everything yeah everything we agreed upon yeah okay yeah and then he slides it over to Nikita to sign. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't able to interpret it for himself. Um, but one of the things that I thought was interesting was that apparently Magnum TA, um, his mom thought this was real. Like he didn't fill her in on the fact that this was a gimmick like oh, wow. at all. Okay. And so she literally believed it was real. And so when he hops over the table after Mama Magnum's insulted, and starts, you know, wailing on him, but then it's kind of like two on one. She's just kind of in shock and she's just like holding her ears or something because yeah. she's not wanting to hear the brutality, you know, happening to her son. Wow. And he ends up getting, I guess, kind of like a makeshift Russian sickle, which is that big lariat. It's like a high lariat. Um, it looks like it's almost to the jaw. Yeah. And he takes the bump on the on the studio ground, and it was hard to tell, but it looked like he almost landed on the leg of the chair that got knocked over that Ivan Koloff was sitting in. It did. So I thought, what an amazing, amazing setup. Like, this is, you know, because now you see, like, contract signings, and they're so silly, and they have, like, podiums, and it just, you know, it, it looks like a bad uh, debate gone wrong in middle school or something. Yeah. It's in the um, ring typically now. Yeah, yeah. It's just, you know, why does it need to be in the ring? Why does it, you know, so it should be in a in an office. Yeah. Something official, you know. And and I thought this was one of the better, if not the best contract signing I've seen. Um, because it just it's legit. It's legit, you know, it's not like they're fanning through a bunch of pages that are just blank, you know, like I mean, everything looks legit. And and then that 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 jumping him at the end because he's upholding the the honor of his mom after she was insulted. It's just awesome. It's awesome. So of course you're you want to see this match even more. Yeah. And I one of the first things that kind of stood out was there's a spot when uh, Magnum hits Nikita Koloff with the flying cross body. Yes. And it's not the like. It's not the like most glamorous crossbody off the ropes. He kind of like lands on him, and I was like, "Oh, is he going to catch him?" And then he kind of takes the tumble, 
And just from like that kind of delayed hitting him and then kind of going down the, the crowd erupts. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, you know, it's a, any advantage that he, that Magnum had, the crowd was there behind him a thousand percent. Cause they felt those odds that were against him. The, the crowd felt that there's like, what's going to happen. There's no way he's going to win this now. Right. Well, he represented every single one of them yeah. too, right? Yep. Because he shows up, he's not wearing a suit at the contract signing. He's like in jeans, very, I mean, you know, he, he, he's like the poster child of the eighties. Yes. Right. I mean, from the mustache and the mullet, like all of it, you know, to even like when his ring gear is like the cowboy boots. Um, it, it's awesome. And so another spot that I really dug was when he ends up drop kicking him in the back. Yes sending Cole off over the ropes. And I think it's Shivani. They say that it's more so because he got drop kicked in the back and that's what sent him over as opposed to him deliberately sending him over the top because that at the time was a disqualification. Yeah. in the NWA, I think yeah, over the top rope. Yeah. Right. Which I think was a, a crazy stipulation if you think about it. Um, but, you know, and I, I'd love to see how, how that could be, you know, used today. Um, guys would just do 50 Canadian destroyers and super kicks, but, uh, <laughs> but imagine really, I think it's just the notion of rules, yeah. you know, putting rules and, and giving the referee the importance that he deserves because without it, then, then why is he even there? You right. know what I mean? Right. So, but but to have it be, you know, a drop kick to the back, and then oh, but that that caused him to fly over the top rope. So that's like kind of a gray area. It was like oh, the referee's letting it slide because it's, you know, match seven and this you know, culminating title match. And so I thought that was really awesome. Um, I loved, like you were saying, I loved the brutality of it. I was amazed at how agile uh, both of these guys were. I totally you know? agree. Yep. Especially for their size. You know, I'm not completely sure on what their stats were at the time. I think uh, Magnum was um, like 245. What would he have been, like 6'3"? Yeah, six, I think so. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, six. actually he's 6'1", 245. 6'1". Oh, wow. Yeah, and then Koloff, Koloff was 6'2", 275. Jesus. And, you know, it's funny, you're mentioning the one strap with Lawler. It was Koloff's outfit that I could never, I never liked that kind of outfit. Interesting, okay. Yeah, because I always thought it looked like a a woman's bathing suit. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. uh, The one piece, you know what I mean? That really, you you know, you can't help but notice his bulge. Um, (laughs) And, you know, he's got the, so that to me was. That's hilarious. yeah, yeah. You know, whereas if had he just had one strap and he could have looked more like a Tarzan type character. Uh but no, he's got the woman's bathing suit on. So that's interesting. That pretty, yeah, you know, whereas like Lawler at least had the leg tights and the the one suit, you know, the one over it and the trunks. Uh so Lawler's was actually kind of more of a three piece. Yes. If you think about it, right? Because it's like the long tights the Tarzan outfit on it and then the trunks over that, you know? So it's true. It's true. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I loved this match. I loved, 
now I was I was watching it and I was a little confused at the end because I thought it was okay. So Ivan Koloff gets the pile driver on the outside, right? He pulls Magnum out by the mullet, which Tommy Young kind of starts to see and then really kind of turns. Yeah, he avoids really that. quickly. Yeah, which I thought was great. Like really wonderfully creative uh, avoidance there, yeah. right? Because I'm sitting there thinking, like, he's doing this right in front of Tommy Young. He's pulling him out by his mullet. Might have pulled him out by his mustache. I don't. I can't tell, but he's getting involved. <laughs> and the crowd's just like, come on. And then he takes the power driver. So Ivan takes the power driver on the concrete, right? I was confused in thinking that it was Ivan that hopped back up. But then it's like at the end of the match, you see the three bald uh, bad guys. All, and I'm like, wait, where did he come from? So now that makes sense that it was Khrushchev. Khrushchev. Yep. Because Barry at first I was getting a little incensed where I was like, he just he just took a power driver on the concrete. How did he recover? He yeah, or like, well, how is he up and distracting him now? Right. A minute later, you know, because, but it's Khrushchev. Okay, so, and I thought that was a great use, Tommy Young getting, it wasn't so much that he took a bump, but he was in between them. Yes. And ropes. So it's more like Khrushchev, uh distracted got magnum's uh attention and tommy young got in between them which allowed uh koloff to get the chain and i thought that was funny too because he he hoist himself up in the corner and you were thinking oh god he's gonna do like the russian sickle off the ropes and he kind of does but he kind of more so just jumps down to his feet and then does and then it. Then does it, yeah. So you can feel like, oh, that had some extra sauce on it, you know, like that had <laughs> momentum on it. But it looks like he catches him across the face. Yeah. Which I thought was awesome. You know, like and I thought, that's it. Like this is the this is the finish. And it was. And I thought brilliant finish. Perfect timing. Great booking. Yeah, I think Dusty was the booker at that time, Dusty Rhodes. And he's always been credited as one of the greatest bookers ever. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's a lot of like most of his storylines have always been um, just people. Yeah. He's great. Um, so I thought that was awesome. I wasn't familiar with them doing a two out of three soon after, which I think is slightly anticlimactic. Yeah. You know? I, I think they should have probably ended it at this point. Yeah, well, or just or just had a maybe a no old barred rematch. There you go. Uh, no outside, you know, with, or possibly a cage. Yeah, right. So there couldn't be outside interference. I don't know, but it seems like if you're going, you know, I think because I'm thinking also like NBA playoffs are going on right now, and it's like who wants to watch seven games in an opening round? Right. Um, you know, but in this case, it's awesome. Now we're in game seven. And, oh, the damn Russians, they won. I was like, well, we'll do a two out of three to kind of make up. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, right. You know what I mean? So that's kind of weird. Uh, well, and Magnum had come off the heels of feuding with Tully Blanchard uh, not too wow. long before this. So, you know, he still had the scars from those cage ma- that cage match he had with Tully uh, where they're beating the holy hell out of each other. So he went from Tully, and if, if you heard our last episode you heard 
Paul's funny take on Tully, uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, way back when, out of his territory, right? Yeah, and and then you go into uh, Nikita, who is just a beast. You know, at one point he's got Magnum in a in a bear hug, and that looks yes. brutal. You know, I love that too because oh, th- what this is some. Thank you, you reminded me. What I really absolutely love about this atmosphere this the tone the style everything that was this match that added to it being real yeah was the drop of the arms right so when you're thinking crappy vince wwe whatever wwf it's like you know holding it up drop it's like one (laughs) and then it's like the Two, and then it's like it—it's it, it, so stretched out. Yes. Whereas here, it's like, yeah, and it just that the speed of that just added ev- so much to this. So when he has him in that bear hug, and it might be the third, or it might be the second um, arm attempt. Because I think he had had him in a hold earlier and yeah. they did that. And I was just like, oh my God, like that's how the arm drop should be done because it's legit. You know, you're not stretching this thing out where it's just like hokey and obvious. Right. You know, it's similar in my estimate, like how I see it to like when there's a ladder match and the guy does like the slow climb all of a sudden. Just, you know, it's like, wait a minute, like what? Yeah, like his body's cramping up or something. <laughs> Yeah, but then at other times he's like climbing like rec- like quickly, and it's like, why isn't he climbing quickly? Like, right. I don't know. But but I loved that. I loved it. It was just like, no, because then it's like, oh god, like the it just adds so much suspense. And then he's fighting and he's fighting and he's letting the crowd get in, you know, get behind him. And then he slides his arm in between and then hits him with this big hip toss, and it's like gave everything he had. It's beautiful. The selling and the execution here are they're great. Yeah. It's great. Like this is this is this is an all-time great match. And I I wish more modern day wrestlers would do themselves a favor and watch um every episode of Territory Marks <laughs> uh that we've done. We've only this is our second one, but that we will continue to oh, do. We're just getting started, yeah. It's, this is the this is the real deal. This is how it should be. This is how it can be. Yep. And it, everyone believes this. Everyone believes this. From the wrestlers to the referee to the commentators to especially the audience. Everyone believes it. And and it's not overly set up. It's not a bunch of spots. It's no. not um, the thing that I love about what we've spoken about today and what we do cover here is that for the most part, what we are seeing are fights that you could see in public. You could see this taking place in a bar, right? You could see this happening in a bar. Um, It's what kind of lends itself to that famous fight from they live. I was just thinking that. Yep. I mean, it it is right. Because, from what I understand, that fight was supposed to go 20 seconds, I think, on film. Yep. But then as Roddy Piper and Jeff Amata started putting it together, like it 
balloon to like six and a half minutes, I think. Yep, something like that. And I think the biggest pro wrestling move is like the backdrop, right? Um, That he gives Frank onto the the concrete in the alley. Um, But it's it's just a lot of punches and brawling and especially with them selling it right after that scene, which is one of my favorite parts. Same, Um, same. Right, because it's like they just went, they just destroyed each other. Yeah, and like I want to see that. I don't want to see them just kind of like okay, like we're good now. Right, it, you you see the destruction. So with <laughs> what we're seeing in these matches, um, and and especially with the guys the size of Koloff and Magnum TA, yeah, going back to their agility, they're they're not doing anything crazy, but they're big guys. And, you know, like even just seeing the double axe handle off the top from Magnetia, like the crowd erupts. That double axe handle, know? I erupted when I saw that. I, I, was, it's awesome. I was watching this uh, match on a plane ride and and just started yelling. I was like, oh, oh well, sorry, I'm on the plane. Right. Because it was right, so exciting. Right. Like, yeah, he's going to get him because I, I forgot the outcome of this match. And then you see what happens at the end. And people, oh, are, throwing, no people are throwing things in the ring. They were so yeah. angry. Uh, legit. Right. And I'm sure Nikita, you know, uh, uh, I'm sure it would be great to get his perspective on what happened there because, you know, like leaving that match, I'm wondering, you know, talk about, you know, Piper talks about getting death threats back in the day. And uh, Nelson Simpson is his original. Nelson Scott Simpson is his uh, given name, uh, Nikita Koloff. But um, I would love to have seen, you know, like what the aftermath was with that audience because, you know, they were just like livid and the energy of that. You know when your favorite team loses a game back in the day before right. we figured out coping skills for rage? Uh, you know, <laughs> the 80s was just full of rage. And so, uh, you know, these people in the crowd just walking home empty-handed and sad that their true hero, Magnum TA, Terry Allen, you know, didn't get the job done, got screwed. Right. Oh, there definitely had to be security to get the heels out of that building, you know. Had to be. And I wasn't sure if I had mentioned it, on our previous episode, but um, I always think back to the story Terry had told me about when he wrestled in Corpus Christi as a big heel and got security to just escort him to his car and couldn't get comfortable and then ended up discovering that he had a dagger in his back. Um, Wow. That as he was going from the ring to the locker room, someone had stuck him. But, you know, he just went straight to the car from the arena. He had so much heat and ended up having a dagger in his back and it was like, holy shit. You know, like, so, you know, that's, that's where, that's where it should be. We should get wrestling back to these times. Get back to the, (laughs) well, really quick before we start to wrap up. Um, and I love that you hit that, by the way, talking about they live because, uh, that that's exactly how I was feeling watching this match. I'm like this, that's the same brutality on concrete. Um, I pulled three things from 1986. So just the day before this match came out, I think this was on Saturday because on Friday, Stand By Me came out in the theaters. Oh, wow. Wow. Stand By Me, uh, which, you know, August August films, I, for, I thought for some reason August was similar to February where they kind of released not the strongest films because kids are wrapping up, going, wrapping up their summer. September is sure. when better things come out. They might be on vacation. Uh, but Stand By Me is a game-changing childhood favorite. Absolutely. Uh, 1986, one month prior 
to this match, I guess around the time the feud was hot, uh, Metroid was released. Oh, wow. Metroid was released for Nintendo. Metroid. I loved Metroid. Yeah, yeah. That was a that was a fun one. That was a great game. Yeah, actually, it was the same month, August. Um, in Metroid, I remember the big reveal at the end when it, when you found out that the main character it's a, was a woman. It's a, it's a woman, right? Yeah. And all these, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was. What? What's going on here? It's not supposed to be that yeah. way. No, it's right. <laughs> I'm amazed they haven't made a Metroid film, especially in today's day and age, or try to breathe life back into that, you know, especially today. I feel like it's coming. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's got it's got to be coming down the pipe. Um, just because I just think there's there's too many things right now. Uh, you know, Mario movie is hot, and and right. Nintendo hit a gold mine with that. So I think sure. it's, it's coming. It's definitely coming. Luguizamo's pissed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and then the last thing from 1986, August of 86, uh, the album Graceland was released uh, by Paul Simon. And so obviously that song, that album is topped by You Can Call Me Al being one of the greatest music videos of all time, quite possibly one of the most catchiest 80s songs of all time. Uh, just fun encapsulates everything that we love about the 80s just lightheartedness and a little bit of you know uh, just all that good stuff that we love sure it's a great year it was a great year 86 and and i pulled some stuff from 81 but i'm gonna hold it because i'm sure i'm gonna cover a match in 81 as well <laughs> i totally went overboard 81 i was like this is everything that happened <laughs> Don't blow your load, Reagan Gene. Was also, Reagan was almost assassinated. I know. That was one of the things I was going to bring up. I will just tease this, and I'll see if you can figure it out. A major television screen uh, couple had their last appearance on a very famous 80s, or late 70s, early 80s sitcom. Hmm. And they had a spinoff show, which didn't last very long. Was one of was Was the male partner in the movie Troll? No. Okay. Then it's not the couple I thought. Are you thinking of uh, Sonny Bono or? Yeah, that's what I was thinking <laughs> with Sonny and Cher. Oh, I love <laughs> Troll. Uh, no, it was not. I'll save it for later. I'll save it for later. Um, yeah. And then, you know, obviously I'm, I'm just teasing it for next month. We've got, uh, in my case, I'm going back to 89. Uh, okay. A couple months after the last 89 match I talked about with Sting and Muda. Uh, and it features two of Paul's favorites, maybe somebody who was mentioned in this episode. We'll find out who that is later. And I will find my 80s gem very soon. <laughs> and it might be late 70s, probably won't be early 90s, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll stay tuned. I love it. And uh, just uh, housekeeping notes, guys, if, if you like the show and you can go on uh, Apple a podcast and leave us a five-star review, give us a little uh, rating, whatever you want to do. That would be awesome on Spotify. 
the, that would be great too. However you find us, find us on Patreon. I uh, got a lot of good stuff coming up on Patreon. Get exclusives to what is happening in the near future on Patreon, all that good stuff. And uh, you know where to find us in social medias and yada, yada, yada. Don't be a coward. Don't be an idiot. Don't be a clown. You lovers of chickens. You chicken you lovers. <laughs> you chicken lovers. You you disgusting swine. You pigs. Do the right thing and give us a like, a subscribe. Give us the good rating. Sign up on the Patreon. And we'll see you down the road. Don't be a son of a jackass. <laughs> Until next time. Because <laughs> you're never too young. You're never too young to die. You're never too young, you're never too young to die. Never too young, you're never too young to die. You're never too young, you're never too young to die. Oh, listen, I just wanted to say goodbye and remind you that the good guys always win, even in the 80s. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the internet. (laughs) Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeedPodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 